What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Run Your Mouth podcast. The summer porch tour continues, and I got to be honest, I was coming out here. We're out in Connecticut, going to be in a quiet neighborhood. Not all Connecticut homes are that far apart. I'm a loud man. I was nervous. I was like, if I'm out on this guy's porch late at night, am I going to piss off the neighbors? But lucky for you, you've got the white noise of a highway at all times. You could yell and your neighbors aren't going to hear you. You could you could be doing literally anything and they wouldn't notice. If you want a home to rape and murder people, this is ideal. That was 90% of the reason that we bought it. <laughs> it's, uh, you should see the basement. It is full of blood and guts. <laughs> I got to tell you, I get, I get used to white noise because I um, lived in Washington Heights in high school. Washington Heights is very noisy and so I can mostly fall asleep through anything. I've lived, I want to say, like close to subway lines. But this is fucking irritating, dude. This is this, this is, is a something. Highway. It's not if you if you sit out here long enough, like I have, obviously, because I live here. It just sounds like the waves, man. You it's like the ocean. Yeah. yeah, sounds like living at the ocean. I can pretend I'm much richer. It has a waves quality to it. The only thing that kind of gets me is I've spent enough time in a car that every time I hear, a tr- I'm like, fuck, fuck, fuck. Like I think I got to <laughs> check my blind spots. <laughs> uh, wait till you hear the dickhead motorcyclist fly by. Wait till everybody listening to this podcast hears the dickhead. The part that's almost more by. annoying about it is that if I already got to hear the high- highway, I almost wish I could just see it. It's almost weird that you got this thick tree line. Not only is it the tree line, there's like a 25-foot barrier wall over there, too, which... uh, Oh, it's doing nothing for sound. Yeah, it does nothing. Well, if you guys are hearing those sweet, sweet sounds of the highway behind us, that's why. (laughs) We're not actually standing (laughs) on the side of the road broken down. (laughs) Although that would almost be a funnier premise, is if we did this from the side of the road broken down. You'd you'd hear the same noises. I got a question for you. If you had this exact same property... Without that highway noise behind us, what's the difference in property value with having that noise here versus not having it? Oh, good question. Uh, it's gotta be forty thousand dollars. Yeah, I was gonna eyeball fifty based on nothing, but yeah. I would just eyeball it to. Yeah, uh, and what I've found is that in the process of buying a house is that you can throw any number out there. You only have to find one person that's willing to believe you. Right. That's true too. (laughs) Yeah. You can say literally anything. That's the sales. That's the salesmanship of it. And from here, you can get really good at yelling at your spouse. You know, it's like every conversation's a yell. I use the opposite tactic where I sit farther away from her and I just, I can't hear you. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Sounds good, baby. It's all the highway. (laughs) (laughs) What? 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 As I'm walking slowly away. All right, I got um, a bunch of random topics, mostly financial stuff, because I, I still don't know specifically what you do. I just know that you're somewhat in finance, so yeah, I'm yeah, hoping yeah. you'll have some insight on some of the financial topics. First thing, though, I wanted to discuss, the biggest news of this week was that uh, Kamala Harris was uh, picked by Biden. Uh, and I don't think we have to get too into the weeds on it. I think you and I will both agree that she's unlikable. I, I think she was the worst possible pick. Yeah. I can't imagine... Short of him being like curveball, Donald Trump will be my vice president. I don't think he could have picked a worse person. a worse person. Like the most geez. unlikable female in America. Yeah, and like not even to go down that road because I'm afraid that my wife will listen to this and then call me call me a racist and sexist for saying she's unlikable. But the fact that she was a prosecutor in the age of like the cops being the bad guys right rightful or not like that's what everybody believes at the moment the fact that they picked a prosecutor and not just a prosecutor a prosecutor who went to bat keeping innocent people in jail keeping wrongful convictions upheld however you feel about her more recent evolution to the left her votes in the senate how does not being the equivalent of like 
an evil, evil dictatorial prosecutor, how does that not disqualify you immediately? Yeah, so I would think so. the fact that they so. put her up, like, if I were Trump, I, I wouldn't be running any ads about look at me. I would be running ads about if you're a Democrat, stay home because this lady is, she's Stalin. Right. So. I hate the, uh, because I've heard that before when you say someone's an unlikable lady, they go, oh, it's because you, you, it's the sexist in you that you can't see a lady as being in this position. Right, right. And that's what they have to work up against. And it's like, no, I would tell you if Oprah was running, she'd be a real threat against Trump because she's likable. Yeah. Or if Barbara Corcoran, I go, that's a really likable lady. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, don't get me wrong. I am super sexist. Yeah. Like, I don't respect <laughs> my wife at all. Uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. If you listen to this, please, please sleep with me in the future. <laughs> yeah, well, you already weren't getting any, so you yes. might as well just, uh, you know... <laughs> say what you want um you know what's interesting with the other thing that's going on with voting oh first uh, my, my only take on the kamala harris i love um they got this thing that they're talking about the symbolism that this is a, like you know it's the symbolism for the country that there's going to be so first we already had a black president so you're, you're going a little bit too far with the symbolism i guess the symbolism is now it's lady or it's black lady you know what i mean it's like they do but to me, it's like a turd in the sun. You, you put a turd in the sun, you're like, well, it's in the sunlight, the symbolism, the rays of sunshine. It's like, yeah, but it's still a fucking turd. I, I am amazed. I'm amazed that they were able, despite all of her demographic characteristics, which I get to a point, right? Like, it's important to a lot of women to see women in positions of power. And I'm not particularly unsympathetic to that. But it's amazing to me that all of the negatives can just be overlooked when, on the other hand, right, like you and I are both libertarians for her problems, like the libertarian nominee is a woman. She sucks. If you think, a, she, I, listen, she's you're so not bad. you're not going to get you're not going to get and a apparently whole lot she's of, like into bondage or something. The new campaign, <laughs> let her that, speak. That uh, what's going on there? That make me more interested. <laughs> let's let's hear this out. Uh, but. You know, if you believe that it's important that regardless of her qualifications or disqualifications, it's important to have a woman be in this position of power, well, that's being offered at a higher caliber. We're offering it, or the Libertarian Party is offering it, at the presidential level. And if you believe in these lefty politics, then she's also the woman for you because Joe Jorgensen also apparently believes in a lot of these uh, lefty progressive ideals. So, you know, I, I have a... I'm not unsympathetic to it. I think that it doesn't it doesn't pass the logic test. But, you know, who the hell am I? I'm just some How guy sitting on Joe Jorgensen, it seems to me, is not getting any of the uh, coverage that the fucking retard guy got the last time. Gary Johnson? Yeah, like, at least he got on television. They kind of gave him a chance because they were curious to hear him out. But Joe, she doesn't well, seem... They Gary don't seem jo to be interested Gary Johnson in was... Despite what you think, you know, despite him coming off as like three quarters baked every single day of his life, at least he was qualified. He, he was a governor. Bill Weld, also not a great candidate, but was also a governor. So these people at least come across as qualified. Right. Whereas Joe, again, very intelligent woman. And I certainly don't want to come off saying that she's the worst because, frankly, she's the best of the three that are running right nope. now. But <laughs> no, not, even, not even that good. Um, you know, but I, I think she's. I think she's better than the other two, but she doesn't have those same qualifications. She was a college professor, and while she's smart and while she's frank, like she's okay, well spoken. She's not, you know, a great order or anything, but she doesn't come off like a. She dope. sounds like she's out of the movie Fargo. But but who? Yeah, but who? I mean, who the who the hell is she? Everybody thinks libertarians are crackpots, and the fact that we nominated 
just some lady probably proves that they're right. You mean that we're not that we're not well, we're not running a we're not running what you would consider a viable candidate. She has no executive experience. She wasn't a groundbreaking legislature. And not to say that I those don't think things, any of that. I mean, Trump would be the yeah, proof not, that not you that don't that, need any of that. Not that that makes you particularly better at anything. Right. But if you're trying to appeal to a larger voter base, which certainly was the argument for nominating her over any of the other candidates that may have been better fit philosophy wise, like that was their argument. They wanted a, a wider appeal then why would you nominate somebody without any type of qualifications for the job other than, you know, holding some libertarian views? I don't want to get too into the weeds on the libertarian stuff. You know why? Because they're not even worth my time. They're putting up this lady (laughs) who's fucking anti-free speech. She's growing with all the leftist talking points. I absolutely hate her. Yeah. But here's what I want to talk about is the fucking male voter fraud claims that Trump is making. Now, here's what fascinates me about these claims. I see that the Democrats are trying to say we need the mail-in voting, it's super important, and then you got Trump going, there's going to be fraud if there's mail-in voting. So that makes me think, once you see, like, it's weird when you see, that shouldn't be something that's divided between party lines. Either both sides should go, hey, mail-in voting, it's fine, or they'd be against it, unless one of two things. Is there a demographic of people that will mail-in vote that won't vote in person that are so one-sided for the Democrats that Democrats specifically want mail-in voting and the Republicans don't, that's possible. Maybe there's a large contingency of old people that because of coronavirus aren't showing up to vote and the Democrats are counting them and the Republicans aren't. Maybe minorities. I don't know. I'd love to see the numbers on that. Or they legitimately have some voter fraud thing in the works and Trump kind of has the insight on what they're trying to pull. It's one of the two things. Otherwise, there's no reason why Trump... Well, I guess the third option is he just wants to have a reason to legitimize the, you know, the... The, the presidency beforehand but if that was the case that goes both ways because then if he does win because of a lot of the mail-in votes you know if he was the one beforehand saying hey there, there could be fraud here um people will point to that and say oh maybe he didn't even win it legitimately i think one in three are probably right i have a hard time to- <laughs> not that i put any like evil acts beyond the the government but right i have a hard time believing in these massive conspiracies think about how hard it is for one person to keep a secret if there's something like that on that big of a scale, it something would leak out at some point. So I don't know about number two, but certainly one, you would imagine that Democrats have to believe that mail-in voting helps their chances, whether that's because they believe, rightly or wrongly, that low-income or minority people are going to vote by mail when they wouldn't, or because the coronavirus... Uh, if you ask me who wants to fear about it i'm not voting of, anyways it falls by party lines right like you see democrats are general again obviously generalizations here are the ones the lefties are the ones that are terrified and saying shut everything down and saying never go back outside again and it's your it's your bible thumping uh, you know hold on to their guns and bibles middle america deplorables that are the ones that are saying i'd, I'd rather just get back to my life yeah so i think that I think that that that's probably the most... I don't understand why likely. by now they can't do online voting. You could totally do it in a way where it is 100%. I'll tell you how. You need your social security and whatever else to fucking log in. And then there's also like, you know, it records you while you're doing it. 
and then they can go spot check every single person oh, after the what fact. An, what an elitist point of view. What, what do you mean? You want people without access to internet to be oh, excluded so from voting? Then I would, Oh, you no, Nazi. I'll say, if you want to show up to a physical site, you can. But the fact that online voting isn't available as an option, I want to make it harder. To me. I, I wish that we would make it harder to vote. Um, I think it is very easy for people to phone it in once every four years for something that has a pretty big impact on the country. Although not really our personal day-to-day lives, but a John Stossel had a quote years ago that I loved, which was, you know, it if you are a brain surgeon and you don't study brain surgery at all, and you fuck up, you have ruined one person's life, maybe that person's family's life as well. But if you go in and vote with no information and make the wrong decision or make a bad decision or make a decision that's completely based off nothing, you've now affected 330 million people's lives. Eh, I don't buy that argument at all. I'll tell you why. I think people have... Um, somewhat of an intuition. I, I, okay, I think people are really, really stupid. And I think that the framework of our democracy is is bad. But I think people, I, I know, I, uh, I think Lenny Bruce had this quote, which was like, single individuals are like really stupid, but the audience itself is intelligent. And I think like, for the most part, people are somewhat at least good at going, hey, this person's going to represent my interests. Like, even Trump, who I think people knew they they were lying to him. They're like, at least this guy is claiming that he wants to go there and represent me. I know that this other person, I, I think to an extent, hates me. I think the biggest problem to me with the framework of government is that they're allowed to offer you public goods that we can't afford. And so there's a framework of lying and, you know, they're basically... They're, they're just giving you what you want, even if we can't afford it. So the idea of government is that you're going to have a more intelligent person who's forecasting and making better decisions. But the reality is they're even more compulsive than we are because they're just saying, hey, you guys are dumbasses. Here's what you want, dummies. Get, get me in here. I'll get you what you guys want. And that, that to me is like the problem in the framework. It's not necessarily like I actually think that if you took voting away from any group of people on the basis that they can't make good decisions, what you end up having is the people that can vote are essentially a larger government that's just going to be extractive of the people that can't vote. And so you need to have, if there is going to be a government, everyone needs to have representation because if not, they're going to end up being the class or the group of people that's like, if you took away voting from women, for example, and I've heard like somewhat those arguments of what they kind of just go for the more liberal policies out of compassion or whatever other thoughts people put forward for that. And they say, that's the problem in our country is that women are voting for these liberal policies and they become more mainstream and that's the spending. I think if you took away voting from women, you'd end up with policies that favored men and extracted wealth from women. That, that, that's what the result would be. And so you basically now have like a larger government, which is just men. So I, I think we do have, I, I don't think our democracy fucking works. I don't think the problem is so much voters. I more think it's the framework of what government's able to do once they're in power and the biggest factor being the the spending i see i see where you're coming from on that i don't i don't totally disagree i just wish people if if it was harder to vote if there was a higher hurdle i would like to see people become more interested and become more researched and become more intelligent on the topics even if it's ones that they care about and it's ones that i don't care about or it's stuff that they end up disagreeing with me on i'd like to see people put more thought into it and i think with a higher hurdle to making that action. I think that would happen. I also wouldn't be opposed to 
restricting voting to people who have skin in the game. Yeah. Right? Like, well, that was you, the original model. You had to be a property owner. Yeah. You know, yeah. If you're going to rob Peter to pay Paul, obviously you're always going to have Paul's vote. It's a common axiom. Um, so, you know, I, I wouldn't be against that. I Because, you know, why should you get to vote to take other people's shit? Right. I guess. But I see where you're coming to. I'm not saying that I'm 100% right or it's a hill that I'm willing to die on, but that's my thoughts on it. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, so the other news topic that was um, big this week was uh, they're talking about in New York City. But by the way, have you been into New York City at all recently? Oh, no, I haven't. I have not seen what has become of that place. God, this was interesting to me. When I went to move out of my apartment in Astoria, so I noticed a couple things, and this is already a month ago. One is the neighborhood that I moved out of turned out to, turned into like the party area. There was actually like news stories. My, my street turned out to be the place that people were coming in from other boroughs and partying at. You but, fucked up. You should have stayed, man. No, not like only should I have stayed, <laughs> I remember one night at two in the morning, there were like these 22 year olds. I couldn't believe how fucking attractive they were just hanging out on the block. Like, I think that there's going to be a fair amount of the same way like Brooklyn and other places got gentrified. Some areas that were unaffordable are now going to become affordable and are going to become like. I think we might, there, New York might, I mean, who knows? New York's so fucking big and there's so many people, it's hard to like predict pricing. I wouldn't be surprised though if some of these areas actually go through a fun stage because younger people can afford to live there. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, people like me, right? The young professionals with young kids are making a bolt out of the city. Yeah. Uh, and other people obviously are going to try to move in to fill those gaps. If a lot of the jobs, right, like my job's not going right. back Right, if you don't have to soon. work from New York City, why would you live there? Yeah, so uh, who who knows? I am excited yeah. to see what's what's going to happen. I'm excited to see what's going to happen from a distance from my, you know, castle on the, on the highway in Connecticut. But uh, It's also jobs no longer need to be in New York City to recruit the best talent. Right. Most people don't want to have to, like, most people are looking for kind of the stay-at-home jobs because... Like, the market's shifted where you can now work from home. There's not a demand to be in an office. I think what I see as being kind of the future of office places is, um, like, flexible work structures where you can come in if you want to, and you probably have to be there once or twice a week when your team is getting together for meetings, but for the most part, you're working remotely. That's what I forecast for... Yeah, I think that's... that. I work for a big financial firm, and I that's what we've been hearing from management is that they may have, like... Only temporary workspaces where nobody has a a permanent desk, but you can come in and pick out a spot for a day on the days that you come Basically, in. Basically, your office becomes like a WeWork type model. Yeah they'll, yeah, they'll end up doing some sort of a rotation, which is a win-win, right? It's a win for people like me who want to stay home and, and see their kids and commute less. It's a it's a win for the companies who are getting to drop down on their on their rent prices. But I'm not breaking any new ground with that. I think everybody yeah. knows All that. Right, I want to talk about the homeless situation. Because uh, I love, I've always found state migration really interesting, and that I find, as a theoretical, if there was no federal government, and you had more state power, states and government could operate more like companies where you can choose the state you want to live in. So you Did know, you ever read? There was a great book on it that I used to have. The way is the way people move. Or something like that. I would that. love that because I find this wrote, topic fascinating. Gonna, I'll look through my bookshelf after okay. we get uh, get off mic here, but it's it's a whole book about that, and the guy follows trends and of where people move. And now it's a couple of years outdated. I think maybe this is from 2015 or 16 or something, but he shows with very in depth evidence, and he really runs the numbers. And it's 
pretty impressive, but it's almost perfectly correlated with state taxation rates yeah. uh, where people And are that's going to become uh, unbelievably more amplified as certain states that have had bad union policies and bad pension plans and all those bills start coming due and all of a sudden they have to increase taxes and offer less goods for the people that are living there. Uh, that's when you're going to start seeing more and more people like not wanting to live in states like Connecticut uh, or what you're seeing in New York City, which I find fascinating. Cuomo's literally asking rich people, do you mind coming back <laughs> because they can't afford? But now here's the craziest part. If New York City, if like you live in an area like the Upper West Side and all of a sudden you got a shit ton of homeless people are coming in there and that's eroding your property value and also making it an area you don't really want to live in. How are you going to track these rich people back? And rich people make up, like, I think 90% of the tax budget for New York City. Like, you would think they were the people you would cater to the most because you need their... That's your customer base. Your customer base is the tax... Like, poor people get to have shit in New York City because you're attracting these wealthy people to live there and extract wealth from. If you're not going to at least protect their property value, how are you possibly going to keep these people here and continue to keep the thing afloat. And nobody thinks that way. No one's like, fuck yeah, we need rich people. It's like any other business in the world. Whoever the fucking rich whales are, that's where most of your business is coming from. And you got to cater to them. And then other people get to use your services almost like floating on those people. But you wouldn't be able to run your business just with your shitty clients. There's no way. I, I, you're 100% right. I don't have anything to <laughs> add to that. Okay. Other, other, than, other than, you know, you're right. And, and Cuomo, I think, for all of his faults and his, as much as he probably butchered the, the, the COVID thing, um, I think he's right on this one in that he does have to find a way to get those people back in, right? And, and whether that's, you know, shuffling the homeless people out of their neighborhoods, whether that's reducing the mills on their property, whether that's dropping, I don't know what the answer is, but they, they got to get them back somehow. I was thinking about this in regards to homeless people. We've all had in life where you've got a group of friends and that group of friends is so much fun. You could be doing anything and it would be the time. Like you can think of like your three or four friends that you have that you could get detention together and it'll be the funnest hour you've ever spent because the four of you in a room or you could be going on a boat and it's great. You could be playing poker. It's great. And now you can think of that there's one person in your life that if they got added to that, has now ruined the fun. Like you could be renting Lamborghinis for the day, but the fact that this guy's joining <laughs> your group, it is a ruined experience. We can all envision that in our heads because we've all lived those experiences. You've got your group of friends are going to go do the world's funnest activity and you add this person to that activity and now it sucks. That to me is, it's so funny that one person can ruin your whole thing like that. And that to me is kind of what homeless people are that you've got this. <laughs> and I'm saying it's tragic because you want to be able to help these people out, but on the same note, just their presence ruins your neighborhood. And I don't have a solution because I don't <laughs> want to be the, like, it, be, it really does become a government problem because if government didn't exist, wealthy people would all be kind of in, you know, more private areas that homeless people just wouldn't have access to altogether. It's that you got these quasi-public places that you end up with an issue because government doesn't really want to have to make a determination about it. Um, I don't know. It's just like it's just like a funny aspect of human nature that. Yeah, that's another one. If I had the answer for it, I'd be a right. politician. I wouldn't be hanging out with guys <laughs> like you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd, be, I'd be clinking it up in a in a cocktail party somewhere. But you know, I, I agree. If if I was if I was the mayor of New York, where where do you draw the line? Right? Does the does a dude have the right to hang out on the street corner? And yeah, maybe if he's not causing a problem, but. 
is as the I guess owner is not the right word because it's government, but as the caretaker of the of the streets and of the sidewalks, you do have a responsibility to keep them kind of clean, so shoo them off, but then where do they go for shelters, especially now when there's communicable diseases? But I did see an interesting thing that said that homeless people have lower rates of COVID infection. Because they have unbelievable be- immune systems. No, no, no. It's be- it's actually that this was a doctor from India who thinks that it's because of their vitamin D exposure. Oh, they're because they're always out in the, the sun? sun. To the point where he has now started giving vitamin D supplements to... Or it wasn't a doctor in India. It was an Indian doctor in America who had now has now recommended vitamin D supplements. If you're taking a multivitamin, do you still then need vitamin? Like, I don't get that. Like, people take the multivitamin, but then they still take vitamin C. How come, why aren't they putting up vitamin C in the fucking multivitamin? I want to take the Good. one and be fucking done. Good question, Rob. Uh, I don't know if you knew this about me. I am not a scientist. <laughs> well, where's this wife you're not sleeping Yeah, with? that's right. My wife is a scientist. I should get her out here and, and have her answer right. that question. And now we're going to get into some of the uh, random financial articles that I've come across. And, um, you know, hopefully you'll have more insight than you did for the vitamin talk. <laughs> not, that I'm, not that I'm upset at you for, you know, fumbling the vitamin talk. If you had bounced that question to me via email beforehand, I could have You could have done your research. All right. All sorts of vitamin facts. Next time, I'll shoot my, my list of Snapple <laughs> fact questions over your way. Uh, Same with these finance articles. Now I'm going to feel like a total fraud. No, nah, it's fine. I, it, it. I Believe me, I just came across these headlines over the last, I'm going to say, week and a half and thought that they were interesting stories, but I don't know enough about them. One of the things that I see increasingly more talk of is um, a race to, I guess, be ahead of probably China in terms of creating a government digital currency. And that's something that I know there have been numerous articles about uh, government hiring more and more people to study Bitcoin. They're trying to get more experts in the realm of digital currency. Sometimes you see articles about the Fed talking about digital currencies. I think I might have seen someone maybe on YouTube write this in the part of problem comments or maybe I thought of this on my own. I don't think it's an original thought. But I do think that when digital currency comes into existence, we're going to see the uh, basically the same thing as you see with stocks with like a reverse split, that that's going to be their way of kind of um, flipping inflation. Because like if they do that to your physical currency, they can't really do it with physical currency because you have a physical bill. No, well, that's not true. The U.S. hasn't done it, but tons and tons of countries have consolidated their current. Not how do they, go, zeros how do they go about it? Or, they just add zeros to the currency. They say now you have to trade in the old stuff, or the old stuff is only worth that. That's not that's not particularly uncommon on a global scale to change the value. Wait, of the so you end up at a level of inflation that what you say your hundred dollar bill is? Yeah, now. They'll, they'll say your they'll say your you know thousand bolivars are now worth ten bolivars, or vice versa. They'll say your ten bolivars are now worth you know ten thousand bolivars or whatever whatever they're split. So in who profits when be. they make that adjustment? I guess anyone with debt. Because now they just don't owe as much money. So I think you're thinking about that the wrong way. It's yes, it usually comes hand in hand with inflation, but that kind of currency consolidation is its own independent act. That's just it's more of like a record keeping thing. It's much harder to conceptualize a ledger with trillions and trillions of yen right. than it is to do with hundreds of thousands or hundreds of millions of yens. So not that the yen had done that, but that's just an example of a current currency that you can see like trillion like there's companies with trillions of yen right. on their balance sheets. Uh, but you saw you saw with the Boulevard not particularly too long ago, right? That was 
a few years ago that they did that, where they knocked a what country is the Boulevard? Venezuela. Okay. Where they knocked a few zeros off of it. So, and correct me if I'm wrong in the comments of this afterwards, but I know that this has happened multiple times in the past 15, 20 years globally. So it's it's not that uncommon. It's more it's mostly just a way to keep records of it. And the saying, you brought up stock splits, right? Like if a company does a two for one split or a one for two reverse split, um, that doesn't change the value of the company at all. It just changes the dollar value of each individual I found every share. time that's ever happened to me, I felt like I was getting, I mean, I haven't really done any investing since well, high Tesla's school. Tesla's doing it, right? Like think about Tesla shares were at what, $1,500-ish? I forget they're, um, they're doing a big which one on is, that. okay, let's say you have 500 shares of something worth yeah. $500 and they decide to make it one share for 500. So that's a normal split and a reverse split is if you Normal got, split is if you have one share and they split it into two. Right, a reverse, reverse split, split is, is when two, they- Two to one. Right. Because I always found the with the reverse split, like in that example, if for some reason you buy a penny stock, it's <laughs> let's just say you go about and do it. It's because you want to have a lot of shares because then not a lot of price movement, you know, does something for you. Maybe I just have this wrong, but then it's, I it's guess a percent, it's a percentage move. We, right. I, I have to talk to clients about this all the time, right? Like if your fifteen hundred dollar Tesla share goes up a dollar, that's basically meaningless. But if you're $7 Ford share, whatever Ford's at these days, goes up a dollar. That's significant. Um, you know, it, it's it's all about but the But I guess if you look move. at it from a, a market reaction standpoint, that, I mean, the reason why they do splits is to make the company, the stock more affordable to hopefully attract more customers and drive up the value. So like if you, like when Ber like at Berkshire Hathaway, let's just say, I don't know, a hundred grand a share. I don't think it is, but I'm just throwing out a number, hundred grand a share. And they go, all right, well, we're going to do a split so that now shares are 10 grand. The idea is that more investors can then get in at 10 grand and so you're going to actually drive up the overall value because there's more demand for, for the you stock. Might, you, maybe you might drive up the volume, which I guess could drive up the value a little bit, but there's enough people that are working on the opposite side of that trade, right? There's enough institutional investors that can recognize that the that public and, demand's and, not going to matter. Yeah, they're going to arbitrage it the other way. So, I, I so the common man's going to be fucked no matter what. Yeah, that's going, what it comes down to. <laughs> well, going back to your digital currency question, I'm a huge supporter of this, right? Like, okay. There's a the problem that everybody has with government money is that it's not based on anything. Right. It is completely, you know, the greenback is backed by nothing but the faith in the government, which is nonsense. Uh, but if you have a digital currency, there's a limited amount, right? right. It's completely, uh, you know, it's completely set in stone. So even if you do a reverse a split or a reverse split- It's not gonna it, matter because it's the, a finite number. Right. Um, yes, the number of units may change, but the value of those units right. doesn't change because it's half or it's changed proportionally. So I'm a huge supporter of that because it actually could Theoretically, and I'm sure there's people who thought about it more than me who have a much more nuanced view, but at least from my understanding of it, it would make it much harder for governments to manipulate the currency if their currency was were those... Uh, no, I think if there was those, a government digital currency, I don't think they're going to say, well, we're creating a finite number. I think it would operate the same way as what they do with cash. I don't think that they would create that parameter. I, I think that's kind of part of the digital currency. The digital no, no, that's specific to... The, I, I think, I could be wrong, I think you're conflating the concept of digital currency with Bitcoin. Bitcoin, the entire value of Bitcoin is what you're describing, that they created a digital currency that has a max. Ethereum, which I don't know about, Ethereum, like you, you could create a digital currency that you know could end up with, 
let's not say infinite, but X amount can be made every year and so it can go on forever. Yeah. Part of the sell of Bitcoin is like, no, 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 we wrote into the algorithm at blank amount, it is done. But that doesn't have to, you can create a digital so, currency so may, without So maybe that. I'm misunderstanding it. That, that's kind of what I thought is that it would be a fixed amount. I think the problem with it that I saw is maybe it loses some of its anonymity because it's government backed and then- Oh, the that's, other- by the way, that's even a current problem with, uh, with Bitcoin. Like people thought it was, an, it's like there's a perfect ledger of everything. I even heard from uh, Jim Rickards. He's, uh, here's the thing with Jim Rickards. He wrote this great book. I think it was called The End of Money. It was fascinating. He's got really, really interesting shit in there. Uh, however, he's one of these guys that, you know, for four years was telling you gold was going through the roof. And right, like, yeah, yeah. Now he might be true, but <laughs> one of those guys, I you love can it. find a hundred interviews of him going tomorrow. You got to get into gold tomorrow. <laughs> and then it did. And he also claims that he was like the person working for the CIA um, as their like, you know, I guess the financial advisor for currencies. So I, I listen, this guy might be full of shit. I'll just tell you his most interesting like thing is that essentially... Well, here's the two most interesting claims I've seen from him. First one is that there's already a currency that's called the SDR, which is out of the the World Bank. And the SDR is basically a currency between governments. I forgot what it stands for, the standard, I don't know what it stands for. But there's a currency that you can be extended blank amount in SDR. It's basically, uh, the World Bank is like the bank for the Federal Reserves almost. And so they can- Well, that's how I understood with the digital currency that's government backed is that might make remittance between countries for trade balances significantly easier and faster. Right. Um, so that was going to be the, my other thing is it, it might make that process and specifically transferring internationally. Well, what, his theory easier. with the SDR is that essentially at some point we're going to run out this game of the dollar we're going to run it out. It's going to go belly up. We're going to play out as much debt as we can create with the dollar. And then that's going to open up kind of the framework for the SDR needs to become the new currency for the world and bail out everybody from the last inflation mess. Ooh. And then you're going to do the same thing, but even bigger on a world scale. That, that is a, that is an interesting conspiracy. I don't know anything about that, but... Here's another really interesting conspiracy from him. This one is the most interesting <laughs> of all the conspiracies, is that we secretly... This is already four years ago I read this book. We secretly allowed China to buy the equivalent amount of gold that it would be a perfect hedge against the amount of money that they gave to the U.S. so that if they, it, like when inflation on the U.S. dollar comes in, um, they're, they have enough gold against that amount of U.S. currency debt that the gold will appreciate in a perfect ratio to the loss that they will take on the U.S. dollar so they don't really have the... Um, they don't really have the financial exposure to all the U.S. dollar-denominated debt, debt that they have. Interesting. Um, the mechanics of that don't sound quite right, uh, but I read that it sounds like years believable-ish. Ago. I read that fucking years ago. All right, this is what I was getting at with the with the fucking cryptocurrency thing. Have you started using um, Brave or DuckDuckGo at all? No. No. Do you have any interest in them or like you haven't even considered it? You're cool with Google? You haven't given this much thought? Yeah, I haven't given it much thought. I mean, yeah, I haven't given it much thought. I figure I've been Googling my porn preferences for years. (laughs) Uh, If I switch now, they're just going to think I'm some pervert from 2020. What I'm most locked into for Google for is I use Google Sheets and Google Docs um, for everything. And so it's a tough framework for me to, to leave. However... 
my I, okay, for, I mean, I've gone through a bunch of different news sources being like my main news source for a while. First thing I read in the morning, I recommend this to everyone. It is the If you're going to read one thing for 10 minutes each day, this is the thing to read, the week daily briefing. That's I it. Thought, I thought you were going to plug Blue Chew. Oh, like that'd be the greatest The moment. label. If you're going to read one thing every morning, <laughs> it is Blue Chew. It's the Blue Chew label. <laughs> uh, no, the week daily briefing from there, I like Google News. Uh, and then after that, I read the Wall Street Journal, and that's it. That's kind of yeah. what I go through. Uh, I do find that, the like, for a while, I loved Reddit news. Well, basically, while Obama was president, I loved Reddit news. Once Trump came around, to me, that algorithm kind of... My, my favorite is every time I open Reddit, the top five things are like, Nazi Trump wants to murder black people. And I'm like, how is that an objective news title? Yeah, that's why I <laughs> was just done with Reddit Trump news. Trump lies 35 times in four minutes. Can you believe this oaf is still president? Right. <laughs> I find increasingly, in order to find, I'm going to say, good articles or like perspectives I know exist, I have to go to DuckDuckGo. Best example might have been like when the hydroxychlorine thing was happening a couple weeks ago. You couldn't even like find the news stories. I had to move over to DuckDuckGo. Uh, and then I've also just recently read that Bra- the Brave browser is at, with a VPN built in is much smarter on your phone because you don't even realize how much Google like spyware and other shit is going on in the background that's lagging that Brave is actually a much faster like... But I just, I, even with all this stuff known and the fact that I don't like like these tech companies, oh, one more thing I'm seeing more and more of that I find annoying is when I go to websites, they give you like the, you have to like accept the cookies or whatever. Oh, the worst. And then you got to click through a couple pages to basically decline it all, but it's just an annoying process. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. I, oh, yeah. This was long-winded, but I don't think you're going to have an answer to this anyways. I was basically thinking about the... If I'm projecting, I already own Bitcoin, um, which luckily I've done. I mean, I didn't buy that much of it, so it doesn't matter. But I, I got it like at 5K, so I've, I've done remarkably well with that. Uh, I think Brave is creating a cryptocurrency like built into, I don't know. I'm, I'm curious about that cryptocurrency, if it's worthwhile, or whatever gold-backed cryptocurrencies are also in the making. But th- th- this might be totally outside of your field of expertise. I, I don't do any, uh, any cryptocurrency... Personally, I, we're not allowed to recommend it to, to clients for anything, although we do have clients that have some of their portfolios in that outside of what we do. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know that much about it. I, I do know that I feel completely comfortable using Google, not because I trust them with my data, but because I think that the government has ways to watch me. No matter regardless, what. Regardless of which one I'm using, regardless of how private they tell me it is and with private companies i don't have as much of an issue with them having like for for instance i've been looking at new tank tops recently and google ads is putting ads for tank tops on and you know what you almost find that convenient that's a little bit of an invasion of private fuck it bring it on you know and the same with porn you know like my porn hub now gives me recommendations i'm like you know what thank you for saving me a few clips go ahead throw it on there i don't care that you know what i like that side of the marketing doesn't bother me i think that there are things that are um larger picture being done with the big data that's really not in our interest. I'd be interested to know how they're using it for like pricing algorithms. I haven't seen anybody put out anything like really in depth on that, but like how does my like social media score or my affect what Amazon score will show you for prices? Affect how my does prices Amazon are. use discriminatory pricing, which by the way, if you're not familiar with that, that's an economic term for like uh, colleges basically do discriminatory pricing where if you've got 
you know, your parents are worth this amount of money, they'll charge you this versus someone, or like a college discount at a store is basically discriminatory. I would assume so too. I would assume that Amazon does that. I don't know. I don't have any proof. So Amazon, Mr. Bezos, don't come after me here. They know that you have a certain level of wealth and they'll show you one pricing, whereas a poor person can go on there. They know he doesn't have it. And so the mop's going to be a different price. Right. Like I, you know, every time I go on, especially for like bullshit stuff, right? I bought a phone charger and I was like, why are, why is every phone charger 10 to $20? Like, why is a phone charger not a dollar? Like, right. you can get everything off Amazon from China for a nickel, right. plus shipping and handling. Like, I can get a textbook that I want to brush up on my statistics for five fucking cents, but this phone charger that they make three billion of, like, I is that because they know that my wife and I make, you know, significant money? I, I don't know what... I don't know that living next to a highway money. Yeah, that's right. You hear that? You hear those waves in the background? That's I'm finding for living, baby. I recently, you know, I was like, I'm sick of Amazon. I'm going to support mom and pop shops. And I went to shop, you know, physical stores like Home Depot. I went to Home Depot. I I liked it. Home Depot was your mom and pop shop. (laughs) I was like, I just want to support, you you know, your store on the corner. Something that's in my neighborhood. (laughs) That no, I did. I'm finding that for a while, Amazon had my trust. I went to Amazon and I knew I don't need to research this product anymore. I'm getting the best price by Amazon, Amazon Prime. They ship it right to my door. I'm finding more and more when I go to Amazon, they're sending me crap. I can't quite figure out if it's something I want. Amazon's lost my trust that I can go there and find quality at a good I price. I agree. Yep, I agree. And and their reviews are nonsense. Yeah, you know, it's, it's just like, not. I don't trust this... their platform at all anymore. They've. I think they've lost me. Like I really am. Like, I'm reluctant now. It's two things. Here's where Amazon won me over. I used to be a guy. I would spend all fucking night because it just happened since my OCD Juneness. I am researching to make sure I'm getting the best. Like I don't mind spending money. I just want to know that if I am spending money, it's quality and it's good. Or if I'm not spending money, then like. I'm getting the cheapest price and I understand it's going to break on me, but I got the cheapest price. But like, I kind of yeah. want to do my research and my preference now is to like get good value. I'd rather spend the money for something with quality that's going to last. And it used to be, I'd go fucking nuts trying to go to different websites and eventually you'd find it for the cheapest price. You do your research, you buy it. Now I find like for a while, Amazon was great because I, 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 I didn't have to waste time researching it. Their algorithm did the homework for me. Now, I find if you try and research like articles for what's the best item, they're all paid for blog posts. Yep. So you're not getting any good information whatsoever. And more often than not, when I'm going to Amazon, they're shipping me something that is not what I was looking for. It sucks and I'm too lazy to ship it back and I'm just fucking stuck with it. I have so I have thrown so much stuff away yeah. from Amazon. I'm like, yeah, I'm not gonna. Ever I have a send joke in my act about how I'm never the joke guy's like I, I'm, I'm done with damn it because I'm never returning. Like you could deliver the wrong medications to my house, and I'm just like, <laughs> es- looks like I'm taking this now. Yeah, I'm like estrogen. I think that's good for ADD. <laughs> um, I found something the other day that wasn't on Amazon that yeah. I wanted. I specifically wanted to buy Old Spice body wash. Okay. And I was like, I'll buy it off Amazon because I buy 99% of the things in my life off Amazon. And I went, and they don't sell Old Spice on Amazon. Just not there. Yeah. I had to go to Walmart in person like a savage. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to go to Walmart when I was, you know, I said a couple weeks ago, I was back to supporting the mom and pop brick and mortar stores. Yeah, nothing says I wanted to go to Walmart, but it was, um, you know, I'm not being all that Corona careful, but I looked at what the scene. Disaster. I couldn't, I just... Dude. Even on a normal day, I think I'd just be like, not for me. Walmart has turned into fucking Mad Max apocalypse, <laughs> dude. I cannot handle what they have going on there. It was bad before this, and now ever since 
people they wearing their fucking mad mask max mask <laughs> Jesus Christ that was a bad th- cut that out they're, they're wearing their mad mask max <laughs> fuck it next topic <laughs> you, you see people like with shopping carts with like the spokes on it to make sure that no one else can get to the shit first uh, what's the deal with these mad max masks <laughs> all right I had an experience when I was um, investing in high school uh, I would say my largest single investment was um, in General Motors. And at the time, if you talk to like any finance, maybe most financial advisors, the sediment, at, like it was still a line. This used to be a thing people said, if General Motors goes, so does the US economy. That's what the way General Motors was considered. I'm, I'm talking 15 years ago. So yeah. now that might sound crazy. When did you graduate time. high school? Date yourself. Um, I could be wrong. I want to say I was in high school 2002 to 2006. Okay. I, I think I yeah. think those years I was in high school. Um, I mean, I'm 32. I think that makes sense. Yeah. That makes yeah. sense. I graduated in 2008. Also, I was in eighth grade um, for 9-11, so that's 2001, right? Yeah, I was in yeah. sixth grade for 9-11, yep. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> I like years. how we're doing 9-11 math. That's, <laughs> that's sad. Uh, what was the... Tr- oh, yeah. So I owned, I owned General Motors, and um, I mean, all of that advice was clearly wrong. If you actually know finance and you want to look back on the company's financial records the couple years before, there were clearly massive problems and there were union issues and they weren't making profits. And But here's, here's what you got to know about General Motors. So I ended up getting, as an investor, basically wiped out. I, I mean, I did get wiped out. I don't have any shares left, so I got wiped out. As an investor, I got wiped out. And I guess the bondholders at that time were able to take equity in whatever I think the new General Motors became. Right. But Okay, so here's what's wild. What happened with General Motors, and I, I know that there was a financial collapse and that you know there wasn't as much demand for cars, but what really happened is they didn't have enough. The government got to decide that when they gave them access to the capital that they needed to not go into a full bankruptcy, that the shareholders were going to get wiped out. I forgot the, the CEO at the time, but he was trying to structure the deal so that the shareholders wouldn't get wiped out. And the government declined that because they said the mismanagement, whatever, you know, and so they structured it in a way that we got wiped out and the company okay but now here's what i'm trying to get at if the company had access to the capital that they needed to remain technically solvent my shares at $30 a share would have still existed i had my whatever it was i want to say i had $3000 worth of general motors at the time it would it would still functionally I would have something of value, but because they didn't have access to the capital they needed to remain solvent, I ended up with something that was worth zero. In other words, something that was worth $30 a share became worth $0 a share, and the difference between those two options was just whether or not government was going to give them the finances that they needed to be solvent. That's the difference between zero and 30. So now, like, if I give you that perspective and you start looking at who is the government giving money to to remain solvent, you start realizing that the difference between something being worth... Because like most companies, I think functionally, are in debt. And there's probably a lot of companies that will... Ne- like they call them zombie companies. They're never going to turn a profit in the future. But if you have access to enough capital for you know to be paying off your current bonds and whatever, you're functionally solvent. And just having access to this capital you know, gives you some value. And the reason I'm just pointing this out is that to me, like if you start looking at it from that perspective, you can start understanding just how fucked up the current system is where government's extending capital to a shit ton of people because things that like would be worth zero are being evaluated at being worth, I I don't even fucking know. Like, I don't know. Do you kind of get what I'm saying? I get that it's a ramble, but... 
I, I think maybe there's a little bit of a disconnect just on like how the capital structure works. Right. Right. And, and what happens in a bankruptcy. So chapter 11 is where the bondholders take control of a company and the equity holders get wiped out. Right. That That's very common. Co- ch- companies go into chapter 11 all the time. Happens to airlines, happened Toys R Us, right? A recent example. Um, chapter 11 just means anybody that owned equity, the owners of the company, whether it's one dude that owns a company or whether it's it one's taken family, by the bond whether holders. it's you know, 10,000 shareholders, they all get knocked out. They go down to zero and a bondholder takes over. Um, that bondholder is typically not the government. GM, you know, that was when... I was also in high school, so I don't know the specifics of that, but if I remember right, there was something special where the, the government was the bondholders. The government took an ownership stake in that, but I don't remember enough to speak intelligently on it. But normally the government is not the provider of capital for these companies and doesn't really have anything to do with that. Although now through the- But that's through, what I'm saying, now they now do. Through liquid, now they're yeah, buying now all the fucking the, bonds up. So I'm interested to see how that works, right? With government, but it's not really the government, it's the Fed, or the Fed is doing it through BlackRock. I'm interested to see how that works, right? If a company does go into Chapter 11 and the government is a bondholder, are they going to take an active role no, in the management I, of So here's company? the thing. I think that under the current model, they don't want that happening, so they will funnel as much money as they need into the bonds. I also bonds. think the government doesn't want that. For all, we, for all of us libertarians that like to talk about how the government wants to control everything, I actually think the government doesn't want No, that's what I'm saying. They don't want, want No, that. they don't want yeah. all the companies going under and for people to realize that the government, own, like, that's not what they want. Yeah. They want to make it look like the financial system is still, you know, flowing, pumping in is yeah, all well, good. Yeah, that, that was their whole point, right, is the bond, the bond market was basically illiquid. All I'm trying to either, point out is that for company owners and for all these people invested in stocks, the evaluation of these companies when there's government capital coming into the market, if you look at it from my General Motors perspective, is the difference between zero and 30. Maybe, but the government, as far as I understood, they weren't buying new issue bonds, right? They were buying bonds that were already on the market. No, uh, what I'm saying for General Motors, if they had chosen to give them the capital that they needed for the shares to still exist, if anything, it would have gone up because they go, oh, look, the government's backing General Motors. And then more shareholders would go, oh, this company, which is a lot of what's going on now, is people are going, oh, there's the Fed, they're fucking backstop anything. Maybe, but with, you know, in the in an example like GM, Chapter 11 will allow a company, and again, I don't remember if they went Chapter 11 or not, I don't, I wasn't particularly active in the I market. I think they were able to time, avoid but. it because of the, what got put together. Let's just say ABC company goes into Chapter 11, though. Yeah, it wipes out the equity holders, but it gives the company a chance to survive. It gives them a chance to write off their liabilities. It gives them a chance to kind of restructure some poor performing divisions or departments of a company. So I, the bankruptcy is a very important tool. It's like a necessary thing to keep the economy moving along. How, however the government is getting involved to obscure that process is obviously a very bad thing and can be very dangerous. The government getting involved in the bond markets is a separate issue, providing liquidity. A lot of the Wall Street guys, you watch, we watch CNBC all day, we have it playing in the background of our office. Like they just talk all day about, oh, it's how great it is that the government's providing liquidity, but they're eliminating that price, that price discovery price mechanism. Discovery. Right? And, like, but, and the biggest thing is that, I mean, the simple, simplest definition of what you're doing is you're trying to equate risk, that you're pricing things based on the right. risk. And if all of a sudden your corporate bonds that are high yield 
have the same amount of risk as the negative interest rate or close, you know, the one 0.1% government bonds, you've just destroyed having a functioning market. Yeah, their argument was like, with the ETFs being such a big player in these illiquid bond markets, there was going to be a, a death spiral as they were trying to sell out to meet cash of their redemptions or whatever, but... It's all bullshit. I, I think if you're in the, if you're investing, even if you're investing in less risky asset, assets like bond, like, you know, triple A corporate bonds that you think are supposed to be... But these aren't, but the things that were going under were the high, high yield yeah, shit, high, which by but, the way, high yield which is, is the not sales term for, for getting people bonds. to invest yeah. in junk bonds. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but I, I see the, I see the government argument, right? I'm not completely oblivious to that. I get where they want that. But I also feel like if you're investing in the market, whether that's the stock market, whether it's the bond market, any type of security that you're buying right. has risk associated with it. Can I pee back like your shed towards the highway? What's that? Can I pee back your shed towards yeah, the highway? Course, I got to pee course. so bad. All right, thank you. I'll be back in one <laughs> second. You can just keep talking while I'm out there. I'm going to talk so much shit. Rob is super gay. If you've never seen Rob in real life, his head has the same hair consistency as a ball sack where it's not particularly dense it's kind of trimmed short very smooth looks like it could be wrinkly probably hard to scratch and as long as he's gone I'm gonna light up a smoke here So I bought cigarellos for the first time in my life. Oh, I'll have one. Here you go. Oh, dude, I, you legit have a highway wall right there. Yeah, it I is mean, a... I mean, you weren't kidding. <laughs> when you're, if you're smoking a cigarello, are these supposed to be like a cigar and you're not supposed to inhale them, or you're, you do? I have no idea. This is the first time I've ever bought one. Not the first time I've ever smoked one. Uh, first I, time. I, I gotta say, I like cigars, but sometimes I find, like, I can't smoke them without inhaling them, and then it, like just feels gross in my throat later next question i did bring my lighter out all right next random topic do you know anything about the goldman sachs malaysia 3.9 billion dollar scandal oh yeah so i just finished the book the billion dollar whale which is all about that can you give me the highly short, recommended i just look at that and i'm like okay if they'll do that to a country imagine what they'll do to pension funds or individual people like they will try and fuck whoever they can in this case they tried fucking over a country and somehow got caught because countries are pretty fucking powerful yeah so i'm curious to hear if you can get to the scope of like the short story of what happened well this so yeah. the, this cat jolo probably oh here you go here you go here's my lighter oh, okay um this dude jolo got some politician in malaysia to fund this one MDB program, it's which is supposed to, by the way. is it? Yeah. I'm going to light up. I'll tell, as soon as I'm done talking about one MDB, I'll tell you the time of the only other time in my life I've smoked a cigarello. And it's going to be a story that will blow your fucking dick off. Okay. Um, so I, 
I was reading this book, so it's one MDB. Joe Lowe gets Malaysian politician slash government to invest in this fund that's supposed to be for the development of Malaysia. But what happens is every time that he's running these deals, and he runs them through Goldman Sachs, so it's not like Goldman is robbing the country of Malaysia. Joe Lowe is coming to Goldman with these sketchy deals, but the Goldman investment bankers are like, we're just trying to close deals and make money, right? So they're saying yes to everything. During this time, Joe Lowe is flying around the country throwing the most extravagant parties you can imagine, like movie stars, models, everything. And the way that he's keeping this fraud going, because he's not actually doing any, like, they're doing these deals, but he'll, he'll book these deals for like a billion dollars or a hundred million, a couple hundred million dollars, but then it'll be like a $70 million deal and the rest of it will just go to him like partying on yachts with Leonardo DiCaprio. Right. The way he keeps it going is the prime minister... Razak, I think is his name, of Malaysia. His wife, I guess, is like a hound for fucking jewelry. Just loves jewelry. So every time this dude is closing deals, oh, he's, he's, sending buy, them jewelry. he's buying her like millions and millions of dollars worth of hugely, hugely expensive jewelry. And right. Really amazing stuff. So the story is incredible. I highly recommend Billion Dollar Whale to anybody out there who's looking for a good read. It's a short read, too. It's not like a and it reads like a crime thriller because it is. But the best part about the story, Goldman is like an accessory, right? Goldman is not the people that were ripping off Malaysia. Right. They were tr- they were just running deals because that's their job is to run deals. They were doing a bad job of vetting of, it because of they were looking them. the other way on purpose. Yeah, but again, right? Yeah. Like you, their job is to close close deals. Hopefully they vet them, but if your income is based on how many deals you close, you're incentivized not to vet that whatever it's incentives. Yeah. But the story of like Joe Lowe like playing these wealth management Swiss banks against each other to like it, it's su- it's a super interesting story. The best part about it though is Joe Lowe and one MDV MDB funded the movie The Wolf of Wall Street. That movie was produced off stolen one MDB cash. Why would they specifically want to make that movie? Because that Joe sounds... Lowe liked to party with Leonardo DiCaprio. I but... swear to God, it's that's the story behind it. Oh, in other words, okay. That was like his way it... to like hang out with movie stars, was including Leo, who he was actually kind of tight with. Right. Which also means that, uh, I guess at one point, Leo and uh, Martin Scorsese were looking, in other words, they were, like, they were looking for producers who are going to come in and finance it. Yeah. What? And Jolo was the guy. Jolo so was the guy. It's 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 great. I highly recommend it. I mean, yeah, Goldman is guilty of not doing their due diligence on some of these deals. But it but wasn't... It's, it's they, not like Goldman it themselves were ripping off. It's this dude, Jolo, who's now, like, in hiding in China uh, and refuses to, like, come out of hiding and face any sort of... Ex- China's not going to extradite him. Okay. So. Two more interesting financial articles. The next one is um, the Fed is changing the way that it um, basically uh, makes up what's going on with inflation. So in my opinion, you know, the the way that they, uh, however they try and monitor, firstly, okay, here's the shenanigans of the Fed. They want to pretend like they can target 2% inflation. Firstly, fuck 2% inflation. I don't need my money to be worth every, worth less every year on purpose that erodes all of the values of society, but I've talked enough about time, value, and money on this podcast. We don't need another <laughs> rant about the spiritual world we could live in if your money continuously appreciated in value. We don't need to talk about that again. 
but they try and go, listen, we're gonna target 2% inflation, that's what we want, we want people spending, we wanna have this inflation in the market, and they're unable to do so. They keep trying to target it, and they're unable to do so. So now what they wanna do is go, all right, I had 1% inflation in this year, I had 1% inflation in this year, so this year, I'm actually, if I end up with 4% inflation, that's perfect, because I gotta make up for that retroactive inflation that we missed. Now here's what's batshit crazy about that. In my opinion, when inflation comes, I don't think it's gonna be a small little thing. I think they wanna pretend like, you know, we can target 1%, 1%, 1%. It's a little bit like the stock market. If you actually look at the growth in the stock market or downfalls in the stock market, they happen pretty fucking rapidly. Like you might be, you know, if you, like I think this is true of the S&P, correct me if I'm wrong, I think I've heard this before. They talk about, hey, if you sat in the S&P for over 100 years, you, whatever percentage you would be up, most of that's in a couple days of movement, really. It's not like it, um, like I find, you ever read um, this great self-help book? It's called Mastery. But he talks nope. about people make this mistake in life where they think your skill set is on like a, you know, it's like just on a, like a financial chart. It's like a normal upward slope and you keep working at stuff and you get better. And he goes, it's not really that way. You keep working on stuff. You're like on, it's more like a ladder. You're on these flat planes and then it jumps. Like you work really hard at shit, you don't get any better, and then all of a sudden your skill set just jumps. I've definitely noticed that with my stand-up comedy, where it's like you don't feel like you're getting better, and then all of a sudden you're just like way better, and then like you're just kind of stuck, and then you're way better. Uh, I think that things like inflation probably operate in the same way, where you're gonna end up with some huge movements of inflation all in one year, and they'll be like, well, we were just trying to get 2% a year, and now they're changing it because they'll enact policies that I guess are more aggressively towards inflation that within their own fictional framework before they wouldn't have done because they're limited to the 2%, but now they're changing it to, hell, if we go three or four years at only 1%, then it's fine to do 7%, you know what I mean? Have you heard anything about this or? I haven't heard anything about that, but that that's horrible, right? Because it wouldn't work the other way. It wouldn't be like if one year they had 5% inflation, they wouldn't come back and say, now we need no, to have- might. I don't know the way, I, I it might go both ways. Well, I might be wrong. Whatever I'm, it is. Yeah. I mean, 2% inflation is bad. When you multiply that over however many years, your money becomes valueless pretty quickly. Yeah. Which is why every, you know, your parents bought their house for $40,000 and my house on the highway was a king's ransom. <laughs> <laughs> I told my dad how much I pay for that. I can't believe you would spend that much. He doesn't sound like that, but this is how he, it's in my mind. I can't believe you would spend that much money on a house. What are you crazy? And I'm that like, sounds like a villain it's from the cheapest uh, fucking house in the entire city I live in. All right, and then the last financial article. Oh no, 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 I got two more. I got two more. Doesn't doesn't the Fed not count rent in their inflation? Or they, I think they don't. They don't count rent or housing in their inflation. Anything prices, right? that anything that would show inflation, they take out of their basket. Right. Like energy was a big one that they just took out of the basket. I don't know what else they've taken out of the basket, but um, they certainly take things out to make it seem like there isn't inflation. Um, all right, the last article, this last one we'll do. I was reading, and apparently I deleted from my notes, about the credit swaps that the Fed has offered to all these other countries. Um, that they basically offered them, like, massive credit swaps for uh, all of the... Because they need dollars, basically, to be paying off their debt. Right. So, like, they're just giving... Like, basically, whatever currency they need to pay off their debts, the Fed's just like, here, you can have it. That's interesting that the Fed engage. I mean, I know that those types of swaps 
Oh, existed. it's growing in a big way. Like, like well, massive I know that they over the exist last in couple real months. Life and, and they're, um, you know, a very powerful tool. And I think, what is it, 80% of the top 2,000 companies in America are you are currently using, and this is old data, this is probably five years old now, um, but I was just reading it in one of the books that I'm going through. Like 80% of the top 2,000 companies are currently using some sort of currency or credit swap right. uh, on their balance sheet, which it makes sense that you would do that, right? You want to remove the the volatility. You want to remove the risk that you're facing. So I don't have a problem with those type of financial instruments. Uh, in fact, I deal with clients that use those type of financial instruments in a very productive and what I would consider safe way. But I don't know where the Fed has authority to do that, right? Like that's not the Fed's job to enter in these swaps. I don't know that much about that. I would like to, maybe I'll try to read some more about that on Monday and I'll shoot you an email. Here's what I understand of it. Rob's newsroom at Gmail. Send Rob junk mail. Rob's newsroom at gmail.com. What I understand about it is that, okay, this to me is the most interesting topic and it's hard to research, but I'd like to research more of it. I think that the government's usage of debt is fraudulent, and bad for all of humanity. Uh, and I find that when you talk about these things, you know, most people think, uh, hey, you're an evil person. We could afford to help the poor. And you're the evil person that doesn't want to help us, uh, you know, doesn't want to help us pay for things that poor people need. That's kind of the way they, they look at you. And then you go, well, how are we going to pay for this? And they go, well, you know, there's going to be economic growth. And then I think most of the argument that people sometimes make, in my opinion, firstly, government's just robbing us of our wealth. They can't actually give us these goods that they claim that they can. But let's not get into that. Most people say, well, who's going to pay for this? Or what, are you really going to just put throw this all on your kids? And I don't think people conceptualize that because I think everyone goes, all right, well, I'm not paying for it. My kids probably aren't going to pay for it. Either they like the forward-looking, hey, the economy is going to grow, we'll be able to handle the debt, or they just think it's going to kind of disappear because we're probably just going to default on it. All right, so let's just say that all... I I want to know what the real cost of debt is, and I think the real cost of debt is that there's imperialism and bad things that we're doing to other countries in order to make sure that the... Like, the chief good of the U.S. government is dollars. As long as there's dollar demand, they can continue to finance their debts, and the people in power can remain in power. And I think that is like the, 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 the core thing that we need is to kind of police the world and make sure that they're continuing to use currency. And I don't quite understand what that means for poor countries or what it means for wars, but I think a lot of the evil shit that's going on in the world is as a result of this, you know, dollar imperialism. All right, so that's a topic that I'd like to explore. We don't have to get into it too much today. I find that to be fascinating. And if people have more information on that, I'd like to hear it. I think what's going on in the credit default swaps is they just really need to make sure that the um, that everyone's using the dollar, and so they're afraid that if people don't have the dollars they need now to finance their debt, people are going to start to explore other currency options or start moving away from the dollar. So they're just trying to keep everyone as locked into that system as they can. Yeah, wouldn't surprise me. I mean, the government has certainly done much more evil things, and the cur- the government has certainly used its currency in much more evil ways. What would you say are like the most evil shit we've done in terms of, let's just say, flexing our currency muscle? <laughs> I mean, I don't think this is what you're talking about, but it is certainly an evil thing where I have friends that during their time in Afghanistan handed duffel bags full of cash to drug to, dealers to warlords nice right 
that money is then spent to kill their buddies six months down the road. That is truly evil, right? The U.S. government... Did, are there any stories of soldiers trying to go AWOL and, like, steal those duffel bags of cash? <laughs> I don't know about stealing the duffel bags for of good cash, for movie. but there's... There's very, there's very few. But what, what, what was the guy? Was it Bergdahl? Was the guy who just walked off base and walked, uh, tried to go join Ber, Bo Bergdahl? Um, was the guy who just like walked off his base and tried to go like hang out with the t- Taliban? Oh, uh, really? Yeah, he was like just for shits and giggles. I think, they, I think they did a serial, a season of serial. Just for shits him. and giggles, he's like yeah, these well, people I, I seem pretty sch- cool. He's like schizophrenic and thought he was going to go convince them to follow God or something. Maybe he was on to something. Maybe, what if that had worked? Wouldn't we feel like a bunch of fucking chumps? We could have just sent that dude over. Um, the better move with the duffel bag full of cash is somehow partnering with one of those guys that I'll make sure you're getting the duffel bag full of cash, but, you know, a section of this is going out that back door to me. Um, but, yeah, I mean, any... Because that's off-the-grid money. If you're handing over money to a fucking warlord in Afghanistan, that is off-the-grid money. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's probably. But there was this big story about Saddam Hussein's billions of dollars just straight up going missing, right? Like the trucks left with a couple billion dollars in cash. Which, understand how much a couple billion in cash is? A billion is a big number. You don't think of it when you think of government spending, because then we're talking about trillions. But like, a billion dollars in cash is multiple trucks full of hundred dollar bills, full of hundred dollar bills, and those trucks just disappeared. Right? Like, nobody knows where that cash went. That cash disappeared. Iran? It's somewhere... Nobody knows. Could be anywhere. Could still be in Iraq. Could be somebody blew it up on accident. Like, we have no idea where that money went. Can you think of the thought of accidentally burning billions of dollars in cash? I guess that's better... uh, Theoretically, it's better for the rest (laughs) of us. All of our our currency should be worth more. You want to know why there wasn't inflation? It's because a couple billion dollars disappeared. Well, a billion (laughs) dollars wouldn't, I I don't think, would matter for inflation right now compared to the trillions that were were going in the hole. All right, that's all I have. Uh, Unless you got anything else you want to throw out there before we call an episode, anything you want to plug, let people know that they could uh, come out here, hear the highway. (laughs) Yeah, if you are interested... I, I highly recommend that one MDB, uh, the Billion Dollar Whale book. That that was great. It, it, I think it's called the way the way we move or the way people move. Google it, you'll find it. I think the guy won a, some sort of a big economics prize for it. But if you're interested in a really interesting financial story and a really interesting guy, um, if you read about Andrew Mellon, BNY Mellon is named after yeah. him, um, Carnegie Mellon in, uh, in in Pittsburgh. So. He he was a, a steel baron or something. So I think he, he founded Alcoa, if I remember right, so aluminum. But he, depending on how you value, value it, maybe was the richest man in America at the time, right? But he valued his, whatever, it doesn't matter. But he was super, super rich. He then goes on to be secretary of the treasury. And the the common saying is four presidents served under him. Right. Or four or five presidents, however many it was. But the way that he deals with the post-war restructuring of the debt in Europe is absolutely fascinating. The way that he is able... This post-World sing- War II? Post-World War One. The way that he is single Isn't that the one that fucked over the Germans real bad and, like, made sure World War II would happen? I, I, all I've heard, like, in terms of anti-Semitism, <laughs> or I, I've heard that the... That it is true that Jewish bankers put together a post World War One financial framework 
that was kind of doomed to failure and was really extractive of the Germans. I, I'm not sure about that. I certainly wouldn't go into that, you know, down that right. kind of a, a, a rabbit hole. Um, but the way that Andrew Mellon works with the Europeans to restructure the debt, the way that he works as Secretary of the Treasury, he actually wrote a book called Taxation, the People's Business, talking about the equivalent of what now we talk about is the Laffer Curve, right? As you tax people more, you bring in less tax revenue. But Andrew Mellon is a fascinating character. Right. The way that he deals with the post-war debt crisis and the way that he works the American treasury for decades. Absolutely amazing story that I guarantee you most people listening right now, most people that you know, have no idea about. And then the way that Roosevelt fucks him at the at the end of his at the end of his life, really, right? The National Portrait Gallery is what remains of Andrew Mellon's personal art collection. Why, because Roosevelt seized it from him or something? He donated it to the government in exchange for Roosevelt dropping this aggressive tax evasion lawsuit, which we now know to be a politically motivated, like this is Roosevelt using tax services as a political weapon 80 years ago. Because he wanted to get rid of him from the treasury? Yeah. Well, I, just because he was a rich guy and, and he hated him. He might have been out of treasury at that point. But great story. Highly recommend. So that, that's my recommendation. Is All right. Learn, learn some history. Get read, read up on Andrew Mellon. Interesting stuff, man. Guys, thank you for hanging out with us. The Summer Porch Tour continues. This is, uh, I think, the nicest porch I've been in, you know, on this run of the tour. That that is sad for the tour. No, how dare you? <laughs> we were we this is this is prime gate porch. It's a nice uh by the way, decks I, I call it porch, but decks are decks work. Deck deck falls into porch. Elevated service surface attached <laughs> to the house. You hear you heard it here. Robbie B loves big decks. <laughs> uh anyways, uh summer porch tour continues. If you got a local porch, robsnewsroom at gmail.com. If you're near Philly, we're doing a show. Next week, Saturday, uh, and we're near Baltimore next week, Friday. Email me, robsnewsroom at gmail.com if you want some tickets. And uh, that's it for now. Thank you, guys. Oh, I'm going to read some more reviews later, but we don't have to do that now. Later.